Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. And you can find out more by visiting their website. Give them a call, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. Com. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Mark Schulman. Mark has been a regular guest now for over a decade. Uh, he is the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. And as usual, we'll be talking about current world events, including what's happening around the world in Korea, Hong Kong, a terror attack in the United Kingdom. And, of course, uh, do we see evidence of a civil war here in the United States? We'll also be visiting with... Uh, Larry Reed, the president emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education, <clears throat> talk about a professor in a Peruvian prison who, quite frankly, as you'll hear, belongs there. And then Jim McTagg, former barbarians, Washington bureau chief and author of a couple of great murder mysteries. The latest is Shake the Money Tree. It is June the 22nd, and on this day in 1775, Congress issued $2 million in bills of credit. By the spring of 1775, colonial leaders, concerned by British martial law in Boston, increasing constraints on trade, had led their forces into battle against the Crown, but the American revolutionaries encountered a small problem on their way to the front. They lacked the funds necessary to wage a prolonged war. Though hardly through the uh, colony's first dalliance with paper notes, the Massachusetts Bay Cop, uh, Colony had issued its own bills in 1690. The large-scale distribution of the revolutionary currency was fairly new ground for America. Moreover, the bills, known at the time as Continentals, notably lacked the rigueur uh, rendering of the British king. Instead, some of the notes featured likenesses of revolutionary soldiers and in the inscription, the United Colonies, but whatever their novelty, the Continentals proved to be poor economic instrument, backed by nothing more than the promise of future tax revenues, and prone to rampant inflation, the notes ultimately had little fiscal value, as George Washington noted, at the time, a wagon load of currency will hardly purchase a wagon load of provisions. Thus, the Continental failed and left the young nation saddled with hefty war debt. A deep economic depression followed the Treaty of Paris in 1783. Unstable currency and unstable debts caused the Continental Army veteran Daniel Shays to lead a rebellion in western Massachusetts during the winter of 1787. The Shea Rebellion, of course. Fear of economic chaos played a significant role in the decision to abandon the Articles of Confederation for a more powerful, centralized government created by the Constitution. During George Washington's presidency, Alexander Hamilton struggled to create financial institutions capable of stabilizing the new nation's economy. Uh, duly frustrated by the experience with the continental currency, America resisted the urge to again issue new paper notes until the dawn of the Civil War. So that's how paper currency came about. Kind of an interesting story. And again, just underscores the struggles of the continental, uh, of the colonies uh, breaking way away from the uh, kingdom, the United Kingdom. Well, how about a little bit on, here on COVID-19? The Naples Daily News didn't publish the later statistics for Collier, but in another source, I found we had about 3,159 cases in Collier with 64 deaths. Not big increases in deaths. 
The number of tests is increasing, and not all tests are accurate. Many are being tested as they don't return to work, or as they do return to work. Because you test positive, it doesn't necessarily mean you're likely to die or get very sick. In fact, one in about 400 who test positive are likely to die, about the same as uh, the flu, until COVID hospitalizations or deaths start to increase, new cases are irrelevant. And again, I just underscore the point that uh, people are being tested now more than ever. Uh, tests are available and people are being tested. Most people are asymptomatic or not sick. But beware of the narrative about a new wave because of increased cases. It's just not going to happen. It's going to happen because of increased hospitalizations. That's the key. And, of course, uh, more deaths. Well, per a review of data to date, you're more than likely to die from coronavirus in a Democrat state than a Republican state. No surprise there. As of today, there are 26 states with Republican governors and 24 with Democrat governors. The Democrat-led states incurred 73% of the total coronavirus deaths to date and more than 2 to 1 deaths per million now. So this is not based on the size of the population. That's more than uh, two times, 2 to 1 deaths per million ratio. The Democrat states also have more than two times the number of deaths per million than those states who voted for uh, President Trump. So again, in every way, Democrats partake in activities that are deadly, inefficient, corrupt, and costly. No wonder people are leaving these moves, and they certainly are. Talked to my brother last night who lives in in, uh, upstate New York. A couple hours, I guess, from the city. He said, real estate is really hot up there. Everybody wants to move up there from the city. People are trying to leave uh, Bill de Blasio's mess down there. Did you watch Trump's rally in Tulsa on Saturday night? There are about six to 12,000 people who showed up uh, in spite of the threat of violence. 6.7 million online viewers we watched on uh, cable news or the uh, Fox News. The president spoke for about two hours. He focused on the rule of law. He hammered poor Sleepy Joe for his incompetence. The enthusiasm of the crowd was palpable. It was just fun to watch the entire experience after all this social distancing. Now, the side story here is Democrat Ocasio-Cortez Saturday night following a similar, uh, smaller turnout to the Trump rally in Oklahoma. Actually, you got rocked by teens on TikTok who flooded the uh, Trump campaign with fake ticket reservations that tricked you into believing a million people wanted your supremacist open mic enough to pack an arena during COVID. Shout out to Zoomers. I guess that's what we're calling these young teens now, Zoomers. Y'all made me so proud, tweeted. This sounds like a, a, a college prank, doesn't it? Does that sound like somebody who's in the in the uh, Congress? In the House of Representatives, unfortunately, it's sounding more and more like that. I would agree with that, but it's unfortunate. Nevertheless, uh, Brad Parscale, uh, who happens to be the campaign manager, uh, replied. He said, radical protesters fueled by a week of apocalyptic media coverage interfered with supporters at the rally. They even blocked access to the metal detectors, preventing people from entering, thanks to the thousands who made it anyway. By the way, TikTok is controlled by the Chinese Communist Party. Irrespective, what a great turnout. The enthusiasm was palpable. It was great to see. Well, the headlines, a deadly weekend in Seattle, Chicago, Minneapolis, as New York City reports uptick in shootings. Major cities around the United States reported bloody weekends and increased calls to defund and disband the police. 
Uh, and, of course, that's in the wake of George Floyd's death. This is also unfortunate. And uh, this is symptomatic, I think, of uh, the breakdown in our culture, which has been going on for years, whether it's in education. Uh, my personal belief is that uh, there's been money, probably George uh, Soros-funded types of money, that to fund, for example, district attorney races across the United States, funding district attorneys who pledge not to enforce the rule of law, things like if you steal some, or something, shoplift, for something of value of less than $300, uh, you're not going to be prosecuted. You'll just just be released. Well, what does that do? It invites crime. And, of course, uh, that could be the beginning of a, a career in crime, actually, when people start relying on theft. Nevertheless, we have these district attorneys around the United States. Uh, we had a, a district attorney on the other day who uh, he basically said, yeah, this is happening in Massachusetts. So we combine that with the fact that we have this violence that's being funded, and I suspect by groups like George Soros, funding these uh, agitators to get people out to riot and to loot. It's just all so unfortunate. But nevertheless, we're going to be talking a little bit later with uh, Mark Schulman about what's happening here. Walter Williams, professor of economics at George Mason University, he said a recent report by Chris Stewart has shed new light on some of the educational problems faced by black youth. The report is entitled uh, Secret Shame, How America's Most Progressive Cities Betray Their Commitment to Educational Opportunity for All. Now, Stewart is self-described liberal and CEO of Brightbeam, a nonprofit network of education activists who want to hold progressive political leaders accountable. The report asks, so how do we explain outstandingly poor educational results for minority children in San Francisco, which also happens to be one of the wealthiest cities in the country? The Secret Shame reports that progressive cities, on average, have black-white achievement gaps in math and reading that are about 15 and 13 percentage points higher than in conservative cities. For example, in San Francisco, 70% of white students are proficient in math. For black students, it's 12%, a 58-point gap. In Washington, D.C., 83% of white students scored proficient in reading compared to 23% of black students, a 60-point gap. Yet three of the 12 conservative city researchers looked at Virginia Beach, Anaheim, and Fort Worth, who effectively have closed or even erased the gap in at least one of the academic categories studied, achieving a gap of zero or one. The politically conservative Oklahoma City has even turned the tables on our typical thinking about race-based gaps, said Stewart. Black students in Oklahoma City have even higher high school graduation rates than white students, he says. As the secret shame study analyzed other cities, it would have found that the educational outcomes from most black youngsters is a national disgrace. Now, why am I talking about this in the light of uh, crime and what's happening around the nation? Well, I think they're definitely related, as well as the uh, lack of enforcement of the rule of law. And, of course, the president was hammering on that uh, in his speech in the rally in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. All right, coming up, we're going to visit with Mark Schulman. Mark is a author. He's written several books on past presidents. He's also the founder and publisher of 
of our terrific multimedia website, HistoryCentral.com. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m. seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Shore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards with six full productions this season. But did you know that Gulf Shore Playhouse brings unique theater education programs and opportunities for children, teens, and adults alike? Education is a vital component of Gulf Shore Playhouse's mission, providing programs aimed at enriching the lives of our children, teens, and students of all ages. Each offering provides real-life skills and learning experiences that are invigorating, nurturing, and readily accessible to every member of our community thanks to the scholarships and reduced-price programming for our region's most deserving students. From in-school residencies and pre-professional theater training to community partnerships, audience engagement, and student matinees, the goal is to inspire creativity, encourage self-expression, and support the blossoming of self-confidence, collaboration, and a deep appreciation for the arts. With each passing year, Golf Show Playhouse continues to touch the lives of tens of thousands of students throughout Southwest Florida. Isn't it time that a young person in your life finds out more? For more information about student camps and the Teen Conservatory, visit the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you not only great education programs, but bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can find out more and get tickets by visiting the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of Shake the Money Tree. Right now we have with us Mark Schulman. Mark is also an author, as I mentioned before the break. He's written several books on past presidents. He's also the founder and publisher of a terrific multimedia website, HistoryCentral.com. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. So, Mark, for these many years we've been talking about what's been happening around the world. and Let's start off with uh, Korea. Right, so career, the um, dialogue, quote-unquote, between North and South Korea has gotten shriller. Uh, we had a situation where the North Koreans were uh, complaining about the fact that South North Korean defectors would come to the South were attempting to propagandize the North Koreans and tell them, you know, what the real world is all about. Mm. 
The first thing the North Koreans did actually was blow up the liaison office that exists between North and South Korea. They just decided they just, they just blew it up. And now they're threatening to inundate South Korea with leaflets and garbage, believe it or not. Um, they're going to, in order to retaliate for the quote-unquote garbage information that their people are being subjected to, which is what the real world is all about. So uh, you could take it seriously, you cannot, but, you know, it is a nuclear power run by an unstable uh, leader, so... Yeah, the the uh, the property that they destroyed was actually in North Korean territory, was it not? I mean, it seemed to me it'd be right. It was North Korean territory, but it was like this joint, you know, it was this joint venture, so to speak, between the two to to create a liaison between North and South Korea to try to improve relations. Hmm. So that was a, a sort of a clear statement, so we say. All right. So uh, you know, the question underlying this activity is, what do they want right now? Because they usually ha- create these types of disturbances when they have something on their minds that they're looking. Well, they for. certainly don't want. Look, look, what the North Korean government has been incredibly successful by the fact that they've cut the, their people out from any sort of information of what's happening in the real world. Right. Much more so. You know, basically Soviet Union style from the 1950s and 60s before the Internet and everything else. Um, you know, the Chinese may have the great Chinese, you know, wall, so certain things don't come back, but basically the people in China know exactly what's going on in the world today. It's not, uh, right. you can't keep information out of China, you can't keep it out of, so, uh, out of Russia, but North Koreans have done a really good job. And they're really afraid that um, information seeps back, and if that information seeps back, people are going to be a little less thrilled with the regime, shall we say. Yeah, that's right. Um, reminds, me, <laughs> reminds me of the old uh, mushroom management theory is uh, just uh, cover them with manure and keep them in the dark. That's, <laughs> that's pretty, right. much, pretty much <laughs> what's much going so. on. So uh, let's move to uh, Hong Kong. Right, so the Chinese government has released its plan for um, a new set of laws in, in Hong Kong, security laws, and of course it gives them pretty broad control and limits the ability of the Hong Kong to hold back from actions that the Chinese are willing to do. Uh, again, we're doing all of this in a period of the corona, and uh, it's not clear how f- how far the protesters are willing to go. They seem to still be willing to protest. Um, so we'll see what happens. But, you know, the Chinese are flexing their muscles clearly at this point. Yeah, and it's uh, interesting that for all this time that we've been talking about Hong Kong, they have not... It has not reduced their resolve in Hong Kong to maintain their freedom. So when this comes to a head, I worry about what could happen. Right. No, very much so. Look, we, look well, the whole world, you know, it's, we're in this such a odd place in world history right now. So mm-hmm. you, you have these tensions, you have China rising, you have this pandemic that's hit the whole world and is going to be cutting world output and the economic growth in the whole world by anywhere between 2 and 10%, depending on which economist you listen to. And mm-hmm. this is worldwide. Mm-hmm. You know, some countries will do a little better than others, obviously, but generally speaking, it'll hurt everybody. Uh, you have the United States pretty much rudderless at this point, um, with few allies. In a very, very dangerous place, the world sits right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll have to see. I mean, it's a good time for for um, dictators and autocrats to try to gain more power. But on the other hand, they're hobbled too sometimes by the fact that, you know, COVID-19 has, has hurt them as well. I mean, you look at Russia. Russia's become one of the major centers of, of COVID-19, and um, that limits the ability of the 
the Kremlin to do too much evil. Right. Um, and uh, well, I want so. we'll talk more about the COVID around the world. But before we do, I understand there was a, a an attack, a terror attack in the uh, United Kingdom. In UK, yes, there's a terror attack in the UK yesterday, not last night. It was in an area south of London in a park. Three people were killed. It was a knife-wielding terrorist. The, they have not announced who the terrorist is, but they are calling it a terror attack. So that means that, obviously, it was politically motivated. Let's put it that way. It's impo- impossible to say which politics these days. I mean, this is one of our, you know, besides everything else going on, we have, we have terror on the far right. We have terror on the far left. We have terror from Islam. We, you know, it's, you can pick, pick, pick which terror you want to, want to go with at the, any particular moment, but we have a lot of it at the moment. Most of it is, thankfully... You know, low grade, but still, people who are dead are dead, and it doesn't make a difference what you know what grade it was. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, Dr. Zudi Jasser is the head of the American Islamic Forum for Democracy, and he points out that there's terrorist cells in the United States right now. They're latent, they're sleeping, and they're they're ready to to attack. So you know, we we should not have the sense of calm right now with. You know, because we're not seeing a lot of terror right now in the United States, aside from what we're seeing that I think is financed by outside sources. Like, not it's not Islamic terror; it's a you know, it's terror created by no, George Soros and others. That's not George Soros. Stop with the George Soros nonsense. The Russians, possibly, maybe the Chinese. And George Soros isn't doing any of this. That's a that's just a, a ridiculous statement. George Soros does not finance terror. Well, let me, let me ask you a pointy question. Let me ask you a pointy question. Uh, did yes. he finance the uh, uh, elections uh, of the uh, of uh, dis- of district attorneys across the United States? Did he? Find- I have no idea whether he. I'm sure he gave money to various district attorney- attorneys to one of his ver- many many organizations. I'm sure they gave money to their PACs. I'm sure they gave money, uh, but it wasn't in an attempt to create terror anywhere no no it wasn't but it it was part of an attempt to underline undermine the rule of law in the united states these people who he helped fund their elections now are not enforcing the law for example thefts of petty theft under three hundred dollars that they're saying we're not going to we're not going to any prosecute any of these cases so in fact i was but but still but but make the stop here it's very dangerous the jump you just made because the jump you just made was a legitimate political decision, you can disagree with it, and I probably disagree with it, but a legitimate political decision to support certain groups of people to, for office who oppose other policies, whatever they may be. Like enforcing the law. Well, it depends on how you look at it. But, but let's, let's uh, just tell, tell me how you could look at that in a positive way, Mark. How could no, you... No, not in a positive way. I'm, listen, this is, they, didn't all, they didn't all run on the idea they're not going to enforce $300 uh, petty theft. They ran, I'm sure, on the basis of reform, on the basis of not uh, three strikes, you're out type. I mean, they ran on various different platforms. They were all didn't have the same platform either. But what I'm saying is we, we, the dangerous jump you made was not saying that he made terrible political choices or should never have supported these district attorneys because they're bad or that they're not for the rule of law, whatever it might be. That's all legitimate, and that's good. Bad, you know, it's good. You can agree. People can disagree. That's all fine. But to make the jump and make the statement that he's financing terror, that's dangerous. So, Mark, because if it walks like a duck, it, it, it quacks no, like a duck, not. it's a duck. No, no, it's not <laughs> yes, a duck. Yes, it it's is. It's not a duck to say that he, no, to say that he finances terror, no. He is. People un- finance terror, literally, people who finance terror give money to cells so they can transfer, buy equipment, 
do various acts of terror. When the Saudis financed the Al-Qaeda, they sent money so that, so that they could buy explosives, they could buy plane tickets, they could teach, learn how to fly. That's financing terror. Well, to, to, I'm not so to talking about. I'm talking about undermining the rule of law and and the uh, culture uh, in the but, United but States. But you didn't. Okay, but you, uh, that's different, though. You could say that George Soros's political support of various um, candidates throughout the United States undermines the rule of law. Well, that's what I was... Okay, if I misspoke... No, no, but understand that using the word terror is a very dangerous term to use. I I did not mean to infer that uh, it was terror that he was supporting. It is undermining the rule of law. I think that's... That's okay. That's fine to say that he supported various movements that undermine the rule of law. That's legitimate. But once you jump to the use of the word terror is a very loaded statement, a loaded, loaded term. And I, and I don't even yeah, say it's George Soros. I'm saying it's George Soros-like. <laughs> uh, well, again, but you, once again, you, you're throwing George Soros in as part of it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You, Just but take, you're not. You, you, you can't say that. You, you need, again, not terror. You can say that they're undermining the rule of law. It's perfectly okay. They're supporting the wrong candidates. That's right. perfectly okay. All those are legitimate statements. But the minute you use the word terror, you can't connect an individual who has never... Uh, been, there's been no proof whatsoever he's had anything to do with terror or anything he's done in his life and say he's 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 financing terror attacks or potential terror attacks in the United States well so has, mark i think this is a terrible implication i think this is an important discussion because i uh, you know there's something going on in the united states and this is not all spontaneous it is it is uh, uh, thought out and i think it's orchestrated and uh, we're going to be talking about that in the next segment can you stick around Absolutely, Bob. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show. I hope you're enjoying this <laughs> on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Blue Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining your choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs and the net revenue generated by NADC 
AFC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donation Center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I proudly serve on the board, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative. You can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Larry Reed. He is the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Right now, we continue the discussion with Mark Schulman, the founder and publisher of a great multimedia website, HistoryCentral.com. Again, Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure, Bob. All right, so we want to talk a little bit about the disturbances and what's happening around the United States. Before we do that, I just want to get an update here on what's happening around the world with regard to COVID-19. Right, so the COVID-19 is growing rapidly on a worldwide basis. It's hitting places that it hadn't before, and some of the places like India are really very hard hit. Mm. And the Indian hospitals are all filled. They're turning away people Mm. uh, who are very sick, and they can't can't handle them at this point. Wow, I did not Uh, know that. India's gotten very, very bad very quickly. And Brazil is pretty much in the same sort of situation. Russia seems to possibly have peaked, um, but that's not totally clear. Um, and you have Europe, which is starting to come out. The numbers in Europe are, are way, way down. They, they've started to come out of their lockdown slowly but surely, step by step, carefully. And as they come out, they've not had a, a new increase in terms of the number of cases um, to a large degree. And, of course, the United States at this point is uh, heading up again, not in terms of deaths, which, are, which have been leveling down on a pretty constant basis, but now in terms of the new cases, um, the United States has been going up, and of course, death is a lagging indicator, obviously. So, yeah. new cases and death, death occur four, six, or eight weeks later. Plus, we do have better treatments at the moment. So, so hospitalization. Yep, hospitalization seems to me is one of the key uh, indicators. As you pointed out, India is in crisis. If their hospital beds are full, they, don't, they can't treat people on one hand. On the other hand, what, what I'm watching is uh, uh, people that are testing doesn't necessarily, they could be asymptomatic if they have COVID-19, doesn't necessarily mean they're sick. Right, no, absolutely. But, you know, a, high, a reasonable, from what I understand it statistically, people over the age of 16 uh, only about 20% end up being totally asymptomatic. I mean, some people have symptoms, so they just lose their taste. Yeah. Almost forever. You know, I have someone, of, a friend who had COVID-19, um, I don't know, 10 weeks ago at this point, and uh, she still hasn't gotten back her taste and smell. Hmm. So we don't know. That's one of the big issues. To, after all this time, we don't know how this thing works uh, and what parts of the body it attacks. So... Uh, the numbers are going up in the United States again, and that's that's of course uh, problematic. And of course, in the whole the whole world is is up. It's also very very problematic. The ability for the world economy to return to any semblance of normalcy is is pretty low. Yeah. Um, if if it's you know it's like Wacomo, you know, okay, it's better here in Europe right now, but you know it's bad here and it's bad there. And what about China? Really haven't China? It 
it came back a little bit now in Peking, mm-hmm. and they locked down Peking completely again. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, there were 24 cases yesterday, I think, in Peking, which is a small number relative to what's been going on in the United States, but they closed everything down. So our strategy so in the United States, as I understand it, is that pretty much to, to watch for hot spots and uh, to take action as opposed to any kind of a close down of the economy in the future. Now it's all about watching where there might be increased hospitalizations or concern for the number of cases considered in, in terms of the population, uh, percentage of population, and then focus on that, is, which to me... Well, yes, but you know you, what you have is... You know, the places that had it first, like New York, et cetera, are slowly coming out, but they're doing it carefully. You still cannot eat inside a restaurant in New York. You can eat now outdoors in restaurants in New York. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're phasing out. Now, look, right now the hotspots in the United States are Texas, your, your state, Florida, and Arizona are, are growing very, very rapidly, and also the hospitalization utilization is high. Now, one of the good things this time around is it's hitting more young people. And young people do not seem to get as sick. Um, there are cases of young people dying, um, but it's not not nearly in the percentages that older people die. Right. So that's good, and that's why some of the, the mortality rates have not jumped back up, partially because the people getting it are younger people. People who, you know, young people always, as we know, think they're invincible and they don't have to follow any rules, social distancing or anything else. So, you know. That's that's a, that's the, that's the nature of being young. Unfortunately, the young people come in contact with the rest of us, and that's always the dangerous part. Well, and I, I come back to the fact that the rest of us, for example, if we have concerns, if we think our immune system is compromised, we can make decisions to protect ourselves from contact from those that might be uh, uh, transmitting the disease. So it, to me, it all comes back to individuals making good decisions. And if you make a bad, de- if, you, if you make a bad decision, you pay for it. Right, but the problem is that sometimes young people who make the bad decision will never pay for it because it's, it's okay for them, but it affects other people. You know, it affects the, the supermarket checkout person or right. it affects the guest, you know, right. those type of people. Well, I don't know about you. I've been, I've been to the dentist. I've, I've been for a, a massage. <laughs> you know, to me. Okay, you're, what did I tell you, you know? <laughs> you have a death wish, Bob. What can I tell you? <laughs> no, I don't. I don't. I just think I take care of myself, so I trust my system to handle whatever comes my way is pretty much where I'm, well, where I'm coming I hope up. you're right. Let's yeah. put it that way. Thank you. Well, so, you know, here we are. We've run out of time before we've run out of things to talk about. I really wanted to talk to you about the U.S. Civil War, uh, which is a topic that we were uh, scheduled to discuss today. So, well, let's do it next week, or maybe I could contact you. We'll find another time to do it this week. It'd be great to discuss. Okay. My pleasure. Let All me right. know. Mark, I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you. Bro. All right. Uh, interesting discussion. Very smart guy. I love having him on the show. And uh, one of the reasons is because we don't always agree. In fact, rarely do we agree once we get inside the boundaries of the United States of America. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with uh, Larry Reed, President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
For the best in food and drink as well as great live entertainment, go to the Dog Two Sports and Music Bar. Formerly known as Weekend Willie's, the Dog Two Sports and Music Bar has terrific new local owners offering a great new upscale decor and a fabulous new menu. Linda and I are weekly regulars to hear live blues, but you can stop by anytime for great food and drink, to watch your favorite sporting event, or to hear great live entertainment five nights a week. The Dog Two Sports and Music Bar is located at 5310 Shirley Street, just off Pine Ridge Road, and it's open from 11 a.m. until close every day. Visit the website dogtoothnaples.com or call 431-7004. That's 431-7004. I hope we'll see you there. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. I'd like to just do, uh, again, as I usually do at this point, underscore the importance of St. Matthew's House in our community, not funded at all by the government, doing great work, holding people accountable while they're getting back on their feet if they're homeless, if they have addiction problems, if they need food. St. Matthew's House is there to help, and there's never been a time in our recent history where it's been more important. So 70% of their revenue, again, comes from the businesses that they run, uh, but you can also make a nice donation. And I want to also do a shout-out to Lulabee's Diner who uh, helps fund in a big way what's happening at St. Matthew's House. So they're located in the Green Tree Shopping Center for a great breakfast or lunch. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting uh, with Jim McDegg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. Right now we have with us, as I mentioned before the break, Larry Reed. He is the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education. Larry, thank you so much for joining us. It's always a pleasure, Bob. Thank you. Oh, my pleasure, Larry. And uh, tell us about the Foundation for Economic Education. Okay. Uh, listeners can learn a lot more about us by visiting our website at fee.org. We focus on young people, educating and inspire them, inspiring them in ideas of liberty, private enterprise, uh, free markets, and personal character. Terrific organization. Fee.org is the website. F-E-E. Dot org. So you wrote a really good column, The Professor in the Peru, Peru, Peruvian, not easy for me to say, Peruvian <laughs> prison. Uh, and this guy is a bad dude, but I think it's emblematic of uh, you know, some of the things that can happen under this command and control economy or uh, communist way of life. Uh, his name is Guzman. Maybe you can tell us about it. Absolutely, uh, Bob. His name is Abimel Guzman. He is uh, uh, Peruvian, and I use the present tense because he's still living. 
He's uh, age 85, and he has, uh, for many years now, been incarcerated at a maximum security prison at a naval base near Lima, Peru. Uh, He was given two life sentences. And the reason is that uh, way back in the 60s and 70s, he was a far-left professor, a communist, uh, Marxist, and then later went underground and formed a terrorist organization called the Shining Path. And uh, for a good part of a decade and a half, uh, uh, Guzman and his uh, terrorists uh, just wreaked havoc across Peru. About 70,000 people uh, ended up dead because of the war that he started, all designed to uh, take over Peru and make it a Marxist uh, paradise. They just killed anybody in their way. Yeah, you'd pointed out there's a, a couple of faculty members that uh, had their lives end as a result. I guess uh, maybe you could tell us about that. Yeah, there was um, uh, a 25-year-old American uh, named Gus Gregory who was in uh, uh, Peru. He was from Torrance, California. He was there to teach uh, uh, peasants uh, techniques for raising superior sheep and alpaca. And he was uh, driving a jeep along with a, a veterinarian friend of his. It was ambushed by Guzman's men, and uh, uh, Gregory was uh, shot in the back of the head. And it was a warning from Guzman's communists to uh, uh, not stand in their way to of, of coming to power. Fortunately, Guzman was ultimately captured, and the war came to an end. Uh, but uh, he sure left a lot of death and destruction along the way. Yeah, and it's all in the, you know, of course, his uh, mission was one of uh, his uh, ideologue. He he wanted communism. He wanted uh, to get rid of the rich, take all the property. I mean, the the usual uh, litany of of, uh, crimes against uh, society that he wanted in order to, quote-unquote, make things better for the poor. Yeah, you know, if uh, anybody else, uh, say, without any kind of ideology, just went around killing people and seizing their property and trying to, uh, get into power so he could impose his will upon others. We would just write them off as uh, uh, as evil thugs. And uh, but somehow, when you wrap your cause in uh, you know all this leftist rhetoric about caring for the poor and so forth, then a lot of people kind of excuse you. They say, "Oh, well, he has good intentions." Uh, but <laughs> you know, you have to wonder: can, can any good come out of? Uh, the practice of evil. No matter how many people claim uh, they may have good intentions, if they use uh, evil and death and destruction to bring them about, that's not likely to end in a very good way. No, it's not. But it's such a similar story. I mean, you think about the hundreds of millions of folks that have died as a result of the imposition of central planning, and uh, if, everywhere from China to uh, you name it, it's the the evidence is there. What's happened in in uh, communist Russia, and uh, yet we have this movement going. In, and I guess the importance of this is it relates to what's happening right now in the United States. Yeah, it is uh, directly relevant because what's motivating a lot of the far left. Uh, uh, thinking that's uh, showing up in the streets and with the destruction of property and so forth is uh, uh, Marxist-inspired. And uh, Karl Marx and uh, the communist uh, theoreticians since have have all felt that uh, there is no afterlife. The here and now is all that there is. So if you can get by with whatever you do now, especially if it's for a cause you think is good, 
then you'll never be held accountable. And uh, so you can kill people, you can take their stuff, uh, as long as... Uh, you're on the winning side, uh, good things will happen for you. I mean, that's that's what uh, ultimately is going on in the, in the minds of these far-left uh, radicals. Yeah, as best as I can piece together the the, uh, the dots, connect the dots, what I'm seeing is a, is a paid agitators that come in and, and stir up uh, communist feelings and get young people excited about the whole notion of a, a societal change that's going to be very positive, which of course is uh, communism. And they get the, then they're standing back and watching these young people loot, steal, do all kinds of things to destroy, pull down statues. That's the latest thing that's going on. Very disturbing. Yeah. It sure is. And a lot of it's coming straight from academia, uh, mm. where there are uh, lots of. Uh, 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 collections of faculty members who are, are off a deep end on the left. Carnegie Mellon University in Pittsburgh, two years ago, uh, the faculty, uh, some faculty there, had a, a big birthday bash for Karl Marx, celebrating oh. uh, Karl Marx's 200th uh, birthday, and uh, complete with uh, seminars. And when you look at the agendas, uh, as uh, Paul Kengor of Grove City College did, he discovered that there was not... Uh, apparently any mention of the crimes uh, of uh, the mass killing of about a hundred million people done in the name of Marxism and yet these Carnegie Mellon faculty uh, were celebrating the man. Yeah, I watched uh, a show last night uh, of uh uh, about college, a guy who studied uh, what's happening in colleges right now, and he said back in the 60s and the early 70s, there's about th three leftists to about two uh, people who were supported conservative views that were on faculties. Now the numbers jumped up to about 18 to 1. So, you know, right now there's uh, there's no balance. You know, you, you think about a place for intellectual exchange, a place where you can defend ideas in, in universities, that's going away. Yeah, it really has, and it's not just in academia, uh, this problem. It's also in uh, media. If you want a good movie to watch, uh, Bob, this just came out this past Friday for uh, streaming in the U.S. It's called Mr. Jones, and oh my gosh, I, I was so moved by it. It's a true story mm -hmm. of a journalist uh, who uh, exposed the Ukrainian famine uh, that Stalin engineered and that uh, killed about 5 million people. And the shocking part of the film is how the major media, including Walter Durante of the New York Times, tried to suppress that information to, to uh, make the communists look good. This movie tells it like it was, and uh, will just leave you absolutely shocked. And we're seeing a recurrence of that right now with our mainstream media. It's just really a shame. You know what, Larry? I'm going to watch that today. It's called Mr. Jones. Yes. And how can I probably just go Google it or... Uh, yeah, I think so. Um, uh, I'll, after we're done here, I'll email you the uh, trailer for the movie. I just uh, uh, called it up on my uh, television set my, and uh, whatever service I get. I'm, uh, I don't know if it was Netflix or what, but right. it was uh, came right up. Very good. Again, uh, Larry Reed, the president emeritus of a wonderful organization, the Foundation for Economic Education. If you have a young person in your life, I really encourage you to have, have them take a look at the Foundation for Economic Education because it can be changed their life in a very positive way because there's a lot of distractions, a lot of misinformation out there coming from our public schools and universities. So, again, fee.org, F-E-E.org. Larry, always appreciate your commentary. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed.
Coming up, we're going to be uh, visiting with Jim McTagg. He's former Barron's Washington Bureau, Bureau Chief, and he's written a couple of great murder mysteries. The first is Father the Leader, and now Shake the Money Tree. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Do you or a family member suffer from chronic pain in your knees, hips, or shoulders? Joint pain can be a nagging and serious problem requiring expert and compassionate care. I know I'm Bob Harden, the host of The Bob Harden Show. Until 2006, I was suffering debilitating pain and deformity in my knees. I couldn't enjoy biking or golf or even sleep without chronic pain as a constant companion. Thanks to Dr. George Markovich and the professional staff at the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, my pain is gone, and I'm back to doing the activities I enjoy with no pain. I have a lifestyle I can only imagine. Imagine prior to knee surgery, and you can too. Call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. They will thoroughly evaluate your condition, provide personalized, state-of-the-art treatment, and help you relieve your pain and get back to your active lifestyle. At the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, your care will be professionally managed through every phase of your recovery. For an initial consultation, call the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine, located off Tamiami Trail in Bonita Springs, at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulubee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-3889 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can find out more by visiting the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. We have with us, as I mentioned before the break, Jim McTagg. Jim is uh, the former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief. He retired. He's written a couple of books now. Really great murder mysteries. The locus of uh, Washington, D.C. and all that can happen there. The first is Follow the Leader, and the second is Shake the Money Tree. Jim, thank you so much for joining us. It's it's great, Bob. Uh, by the way, let me mention that uh, Washington, D.C. is reopening somewhat uh, this week so um, that's something to look forward to uh you know my favorite gathering spot the army and navy club has been shuttered and we're reopening and uh so so uh if, you know uh, washington dc is way behind the curve in terms of uh reintegrating uh, society and economic uh, activity yeah. in the age of the coronavirus. Uh, you know, just earlier in the show, I cited some research that demonstrated that people living in blue states, uh, the, per million residents, the uh, death, 
hospitalization and so forth under coronavirus, in coronavirus, is much higher than, for example, blue states were. I think there's probably been uh, less lockdowns, more people, you know, giving freedom uh, or at least uh, a more tolerant uh, approach towards dealing with this coronavirus. But the, um, I, you know, I've been out and about, uh, uh, my wife Rachel and I have gone to a couple of restaurants and had the experience of like uh, dining in their parking lot and it's, it's just awful. <laughs> I, I hate it. Oh, Jim. I'd, well, ra- I'd rather eat at home. Well, I have to say this, uh, you know, we, we've been to restaurants last night, we're at our, at our uh, club enjoyed a wonderful meal and it's you know it's so important it's part of being a human being to be not only to sit there and uh, talk and discuss but to hear other people having a good time i think is just part of the human experience it's important it's really important to be able to socialize it it is we are social animals and and uh um you know people fret about america being divided uh, you become more divided the less you see of one another no and that's the uh, case that is that's such an important point so uh, i i guess when we talked off air you're you're thinking about trump these days well yeah because global warming's no longer a headline so so until we have the first big storm of the season the news cycle is uh, you know trump 24/7 uh he he's he's dug a big pit for himself. Uh, he's got the uh, Bolton from the blue. I mean, he's he he's getting hammered in in the press. And yet today, uh, I you know I read the Washington Post. It's left leaning, and I read it like a uh, security analyst trying to read between the lines. They have a front page story above the fold uh, that Biden's people are discounting his massive lead in all these national polls as uh, being meaningless at this point mm-hmm. because Trump has such a loyal, strong base, and Biden doesn't have a loyal, strong base. Uh, they remind uh, the, the people that uh, Democrats stayed home in the last election when Hillary Clinton was running, and even though she, she won the uh, popular vote, uh, the reason she lost in key uh, states, lost the electoral college vote, was because so many people stayed home. Mm-hmm. So uh, they they don't see uh, Biden as not exciting the Democratic Party, number one. Uh, uh, what they don't mention, and, and this is the elephant in the wall, uh, first of all, is his invisibility campaign. Mm-hmm. Uh, I call him the uh, actuarially dead candidate, and I was inspired <laughs> By the New York Times to say that, because they they had a line in one of their stories that you can't ignore the consequences of his age, uh, the actuarial charts. And so uh, the Post article today does ignore that, and it ignores the fact that he's going to probably make the most consequential uh, vice president selection in any campaign at any time. Yeah. It'll be be more consequential than John McCain's uh, disastrous pick of of uh, Alaska Governor, Governor Sarah Palin. So, um, can I can I, I ask you a point of question, Jim? Uh, yes. The question I would ask you: You, you're social. Uh, you know, I think this is more of a bastion of conservative thought down here. We have thirty percent of thirty-four percent of people down here support the Democrat Party, but up there it's a lot different. Have you talked to anybody uh, who, uh, when asked or in a discussion, that says they plan on voting for uh, Joe Biden? Well, I have because, you know, I live in uh, northern Virginia. Yeah. And uh, most of the people who live in northern Virginia work for the federal government. 
Yeah. And the Democrats traditionally have expanded and, you know, stoked federal employee employment. So, so I mean, it's baked in the bread here that, right. that most people are, are Democrats. Uh, I have a lovely neighbor who is a history professor at, uh, at uh, a major university, uh, uh, died in the wool liberal, and uh, they choke uh, over Joe Biden. I asked them if they're going to vote for Joe Biden. And they roll their eyes uh, because they cannot bring themselves to vote for Trump. But they are, con- you know, they are not convinced, but they are extremely fearful that Biden is just uh, going to lose. Yeah. Uh, given given his scrambled commentary. So that so that's yeah. the the reason for my question is just to underscore the point you made before I asked the question, which is basically uh, the likelihood is high that people that can't stand Trump will probably stay at home rather than go out and vote for uh, Joe Biden. Well, yeah, people on the, I think moderate Democrats will hold their nose and vote for Biden, but people on the far left, the people who like uh, Bernie Sanders. Will probably stay at home. Hmm. Interesting. Uh, and and, uh, and and the other thing is, uh, you can't underestimate the uh, uh, middle America. I, I'm not talking about the midwestern state, but the the uh, middle of the road voter. Mm-hmm. You cannot underestimate the middle of the road voters' fear of the radical left. Yeah. <clears throat> and if if Joe Biden picks a vice presidential candidate who reflects the values of the radical left, like an Elizabeth Warren, yeah. who, who, by the way, couldn't get elected in her own state of Massachusetts. Um, it's over for him. Yeah. So, so, that when you, so when you look at the polls now and you see that Biden has a 12 or 15 point national lead, as the Post points out today, it, it's, um, it's great uh, for, for the moment, but it means nothing uh, in September and October, when when really the race is decided, so true. And uh, my my prediction, Val Demings will probably end up being the candidate because she's a former police chief. So uh, you know he needs to resist this law, this uh, defund the police movement. And the best way to do that would Val Demings, who's pretty weak, quite frankly, is a what is she mayor of uh, forgotten what city, but irrespective. Uh, or she was, yeah, she was police chief and mayor of Orlando, I believe. Uh, but to your point, I mean, if she's not well known in Florida, uh, let alone the rest of the country. Number one, uh, Charlie Crist is is promoting her. I don't know what kind of clout he has in Florida. He has zero clout in, outside of the state of Florida, if he has any there. Yeah. So, so she comes. She comes. She's an unknown without a um, powerful uh, recommendation, and she does nothing to enhance uh, that ticket. So he's, you know, the the list is, it's just, uh, it's 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 an incredible situation. It's going to be interesting to watch the political developments in the next few months. But President Trump just gave such a fantastic speech on Saturday night. I, it was, I just found it so riveting. The enthusiasm was palpable among the group there. And uh, he definitely talked law and order and Sleepy Joe's not going to do anything. He's going to just stand by and watch the whole country disintegrate. And people are cheering and, you know, basically he's making a great case. Well, I mean, he has the incumbent's advantage. He has $100 million more in his campaign war chest than uh, Joe Biden has, although Biden's contributions have increased of, of late. Yeah. Um, and so he'll probably win the war of the airwaves uh, quite handily. Yeah. Um, 
so again, uh, he you know he's had a disastrous uh, couple of weeks. He himself uh, does himself more harm. I mean, you know, why is Biden hiding? Uh, you know, one good reason is the argument that Trump is running against Trump and yeah. Trump is beating Trump. Uh, but at some point, the average person will say, why is Biden hiding? Is there, you know, is there more to the health issue? Uh, you know, is there some real problem with it? Well, everybody, you know what? People want is safety and security more than anything. So in the last analysis, if they have any sense that there's going to be a support for defund the police or anything like that, I think people will definitely support uh, the president. You know, Jim, I always appreciate your, your commentary here in the show, and uh, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thank you for having me, Bob. Always a pleasure. Well, that was a wrap here, wrap here on today's show. Thank you uh, so much for joining us. We have great guests for tomorrow's show lined up. I hope you tune in then as well. Uh, send me an email. I always appreciate your comments at bobharden at hotmail.com. Bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. <laughs> so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs> <laughs>